welcome to episode 18 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with PsychArmor trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to psychromer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by the generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. This episode is brought to you by PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military cultural content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find more about PsychArmor at psycharmor.org. This week, I'm having a conversation with Kevin Schmiegel of Operation Gratitude. Retired Marine Lieutenant Colonel Kevin Schmiegel is the CEO of Operation Gratitude, whose mission is to forge strong bonds between Americans and their military and first responder heroes through volunteer service projects, acts of gratitude, and meaningful engagements in communities nationwide. Prior to Operation Gratitude, Lieutenant Colonel Schmiegel founded Hiring Our Heroes, a nationwide grassroots campaign run through the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation to help veterans and military spouses find meaningful employment in hundreds of cities across America. You can find out more about Kevin by taking a look at his bio in our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with him and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. Operation Gratitude is a morale-boosting organization. It's one of the things that it does. It boosts the morale of service members, veterans, and their families, as well as other professionals serving their communities. I'm sure that you, when you were deployed, were a recipient of care packages, and I and, and my soldiers were always grateful for the care packages when they came in. That's not all that Operation Gratitude does, but that's a big part of what it does. Yeah, Operation Gratitude has supported deployed troops around the world since 2003, on the day the invasion of Iraq started. More than 1.8 million servicemen and women deployed around the world have received Operation Gratitude care packages. And another 1.4 million veterans, wounded heroes and caregivers, military families, first responders, and now healthcare heroes during a global pandemic in 2020. But it's much more than a care package organization. The care package is a means to an end. It's a vehicle to express the appreciation of the American people. But when you think about the items that go in, the, the time, the treasure, the talent that grateful Americans across the country donate through service. We are actually an organization that is designed to bridge the civilian military divide by allowing people in communities across the country. We have 17,000 community based groups representing 1 million volunteers. They get together and they stand side by side, these civilian volunteers with our military veterans, first responders, and their family, shoulder to shoulder, and they serve together to assemble care packages. And what happens in that room is like magic. They have conversations, they share stories. And in the course of the conversation, they realize that they're not very different, that they share the same neighbors, that their kids go to the same schools, that they eat at the same restaurants even. And, and moreover, most importantly, they realize that they share a common passion for service. They realize that they wanna serve their country they want to serve their communities, and they want to serve one another. And I've been in this organization for three and a half years now, and we've been trying to, in some ways, shatter perceptions that we just do care packages, or we just say, thank you for your service. That's an important first step in a conversation that leads to a meaningful connection. And, and now we see our volunteers across the country going a step beyond 
willing to have conversations on both sides of this divide that we know has existed for decades now. And we're creating understanding. And this is important right now. The president of the United States announced that we were withdrawing the last 2,500 deployed troops from Afghanistan. And what I'm concerned about as a nonprofit leader is those people are going to think the war is over. And they're going to forget that military service members and their families are still serving and sacrificing through deployments, many deployments. And we will continue to deploy 200,000 service members each year in places like Africa and Asia and the Middle East. And there are ships all over the world right now on all seven seas and Marines and embassies uh, all over the globe too. So it's important that we remember that in the context of our nation's longest war, which will continue, and that Operation Gratitude and other organizations are uniquely positioned to create that understanding, to build empathy, and ultimately bridges between those who serve in our military and their civilian neighbors. And I think that's really an important point. As you were talking, and even as I was preparing for this, I was thinking back to my deployments. My first deployment was in the mid-90s. It wasn't combat. It was when we first went into Bosnia. It was a peacekeeping mission. And we think about in between Vietnam, in between the Gulf War, of course, there was Grenada. Of course, there was Panama. But you're right. There was Kosovo. There was Somalia. There were deployments. And even if you look locally, deployments to Hurricane Katrina, deployments to natural disasters and things like that. And it's interesting to think that as we're coming out of this longest period of conflict in our nation's history, some people have, who have been used to there's always this war may forget that there's deployments without war, without combat. Absolutely. I can remember my time as a Marine being deployed on a Marine Expeditionary Unit. And think about it in the context of what we're going through right now with a global pandemic. There are ships at sea who have not pulled into a port. You have sailors who have been away from their families for extended periods of time. Not like when I went to the Mediterranean or to parts of the, the Gulf, the Arabian Sea or the Black Sea. We had a chance to go into port, call our families and talk to them. And this is a huge strain on the force. And it's going to continue, not just with a global pandemic. I would just point that out because it actually has exacerbated the challenges that military families face. And so there's that idea of service members serving overseas. Again, as service members ourselves, having been in that place, sometimes you can feel very detached from home. I mean, obviously now there's the technology of being able to, to Skype or call and things like that, but there is that level of detachment. Some people have said that it's almost a mind skip. You miss out on pop culture and things like that. And Operation Gratitude is a way to be able to remind service members while they're deployed, wherever they're deployed or however they're deployed, that you're being thought of, that you're not being forgotten. And there is a connection to people who are grateful at home. I think for the service member who is deployed right now, who receives a care package from Operation Gratitude and they open it up and they see on the very top seven to 10 handwritten letters of appreciation from complete strangers, when they see a hand-knit or crocheted scarf or beanie from a grateful American, when they see a handcrafted paracord survival bracelet and all the different snack and hygiene items that we include as reminders of home with some great companies and great brands that, that represent America and want them to feel supported too, they realize, they recognize that it's not just a thank you. Now, certainly it makes them feel good and their spirits are lifted. But on top of that, when they see that someone took the time to serve, three or four hours to knit a scarf 
you know, several minutes, if you're like me, more than several minutes to learn how to make a paracord bracelet. And some of these letters, you would never believe the sentiment behind them. There's a connection made. And, and we've, we have service members who write back to the volunteers and have become pen pals and they make a deeper connection. We had one knitter. She attached a note to the scarf that she made for a young soldier deployed. He wrote her. He was without parents, but both of his parents were deceased. And he now calls her mom. He came back. He got out of the army. He's now serving in NYPD. And they're in constant contact. She was sick in a hospital in Texas. And although he couldn't fly back, he intended to fly back to be with her. And that doesn't happen in every case. We haven't, we haven't made those connections with 1.8 million deployed service members and countless millions and millions of volunteers who have served with us over the last 18 years. But we're starting to do that in communities with the direct delivery of our care packages to deploy troops who are coming home, to military families, and to veterans across the country. In the two weeks leading up to March 29th, we had hundreds of volunteers make 20,000, 20,000 specially designed paracord survival bracelets. They're made in the colors of the Vietnam War campaign ribbon. Some of these Vietnam veterans have never heard the words thank you. We will never let that happen again. So there are lots of people who are in this country who will say that saying thank you for your service doesn't mean anything. They could not be farther from the truth. We should not let that happen as veterans. And I've looked in the eyes of a Vietnam veteran, and I have seen the impact that we make just by saying thank you and putting a bracelet on their wrist. They break down and cry and put their head on my shoulder because they have never heard those words. So people who dismiss that, even younger veterans or older veterans who have served in a time where we have gotten that support, we can never let that happen again. And in the context of what, what was announced, in the context of our nation's longest war, we must stay the course. And you know, I, I, I do want to expand on the idea of what we do, because I don't say any of this as a 20-year Marine veteran to elicit sympathy or pity for our men and women in uniform serving around the world. We chose to do that. And I'm not saying that for their families, although they sacrifice more than people will ever understand, even with organizations like ours that are trying to create that understanding. I am saying this to build understanding and empathy about their service and their sacrifice and their incredible strength and courage and resilience. I don't want people to think that this organization is about sympathy or pity or charity, because it's quite the opposite. And I understand that there are a lot of organizations, 42,000 by some counts of military and veterans and their families, nonprofits around the country who do focus on a lot of the challenges that we have. And I think that's great. Listen, I'm a 20-year Marine veteran. I want those challenges to be addressed. But I'm worried. I'm worried that we highlight some of these challenges that military families are facing during a global pandemic financial instability, unemployment, food insecurity, childcare issues. I'm worried that there are civilian families right now suffering from some of the same things. Now, I understand that our challenges are worse if we talk about it in the context of what military families go through with long separations and deployments and frequent moves in the middle of all this on top of it. However, I believe that if we talk too much about it, if we single ourselves out, that will actually exacerbate the divide. And the opportunities to find common ground through service, the opportunities to celebrate that strength and courage and resilience, we won't focus just on the difference, right? We'll focus on what we have in common with our civilian counterparts in communities across the country, our shared experiences to want to make our community stronger through service, our shared experience, whether we're in or out of uniform, 
that we want to make our country stronger. Those will create opportunities for us to share our stories in a way that builds understanding, empathy, and ultimately the bridges between civilians and those who serve and their families that we want. So I know we have to talk about the challenges, but there has to be a balance. We must be balanced in our approach to talking about those challenges in a way where we also celebrate the things that make our military and our military families so strong. And I think that's a key point that maybe, as you uh, allude to, maybe some military and veteran organizations don't pay enough attention to is, is maybe there's this walled off presence, I'm going to help or even help a particular segment of this particular subpopulation. But this concept is as veterans go, as service members go, so goes the nation. It is a homogenous but also contained group. But if we can figure out how to address economic instability in military and veteran families, we can then apply that to the larger group. Same thing for suicide prevention, same thing for poverty relief. And just, I can imagine that Operation Gratitude, having the operation that you have, you probably also do food drives very well. That kind of, just because of the process that you have. I mean, you nailed it. So people who understand what we do and have seen it in communities across the country to scale have seen our intent. And we support deployed troops and their families. We support wounded heroes and caregivers from the military community, and we support veterans of all generations. But make no mistake about it, we also support first responders and healthcare heroes, almost 400,000 last year alone at hundreds of hospitals and police and fire departments across the country. And the one connection point here to consider is they face some of the same challenges that we face. And if you look at doctors and nurses in hospitals across the country who've been fighting a war for more than a year, they are tired, fatigued. They're hearing thank you for your service for this, many of them for the very first time. And they are going to have to reassimilate into communities. And they're going to be coping with the same post-traumatic stress and the same issues and challenges that we face coming back from places like Iraq and Afghanistan and other wars that you talked about. So we see an opportunity to connect military veterans and their families to provide opportunities to strengthen communities by supporting first responders and healthcare heroes. And that's done through service. And the great thing about this is there is not a population in the country that wants to serve more than service members, veterans, and their families. If you survey this over and over again, you'll find that veterans leaving the military want to find a good job. They want to find a place to raise a family and they want to serve. They want to continue their service. And we're going to focus on that third part. And I'll tell you what we are going to do. We are going to build bridges in communities nationwide through service, through gratitude, and by making meaningful connections between those who serve in uniform and the citizens they serve and protect. And veterans are going to be the bridge. I'm telling you right now, we are going to go across the country in partnership with other organizations like the American Red Cross, like the VA, like America's Warrior Partnership, like the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, like Team Red, White, and Blue in Atlanta, where we're doing an event on May 4th for International Firefighters Day. And veterans are going to come together with civilians, and we're going to serve every firefighter in Atlanta, all 1,100 of them. It's not just about what we're doing for those firefighters, the care packages. Think about veterans standing side by side with civilians and bridging the divide. And in communities across the country, we are going to do that at scale when we come out of COVID, just like we did in the 16 months leading up to it in San Antonio, in Jacksonville, Florida, in Washington, D.C., in Baltimore, in Philadelphia, in New York, in Nashville, in Cincinnati, in San Diego, and every month in L.A. 
we're going to do that over and over and over again. And we are going to bring people together. And in the process of bridging the civilian military and larger civilian service divide, we're going to bridge other divides that exist in this country. Mark my words, because I've seen it time and again in those cities that I just mentioned. Hundreds, if not thousands of people leave their differences at the door. They don't think about race or religion or politics. And you may think I'm talking completely out of my mind, but I'm telling you it's the truth because I've seen it. They don't think about what makes them different. They come for one reason. They come to serve their country, serve their communities, and serve one another. They don't see differences. They don't see that the fact that the other people wore a uniform and served in our military or as first responders or as healthcare heroes. And they don't think about it if they were on the other side as the civilians who didn't serve. They think about it the same way. And it's the same thing I said at the beginning. They have those conversations that leads to a meaningful connection. And what we're going to do is we're going to measure this. So we're doing a survey with IVMF and people can discount what we do as an organization, but we're going to measure the effectiveness of service as a way to bridge the civilian military and larger civilian service divide. And we're going to model it in cities across the country, Atlanta, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Newark, New York, Jacksonville, Florida, and Seattle and Los Angeles. And there'll be other cities because when you create a movement, when you build something, it happens in other places. I've seen it at Hiring Our Heroes when I founded that organization. People said we just did hiring fairs. It was never about the hiring fairs. It was about the seven or eight weeks before we were doing an event where we brought believers, advocates, doers together. And they represented national partners that Hiring Our Heroes had at the local level. And we affected change. And when they folded up the tables and put away the chairs, they said, hey, Kevin, it was great that you and Hiring Your Heroes came, but guess what? This committee is standing now, and we're going to solve for veteran and military spouse employment in the community. It's the same thing with Operation Gratitude. People say they just do care packages. They just say thank you. No, we don't just do that. Yes, we do that, and we do it great. But guess what? We're bridging divides, and we're doing that nationwide by giving Americans in and out of uniform opportunities to serve together and make those meaningful connections that go a step beyond saying thank you. And I've never been so certain about anything that I've done in the nonprofit space or as a Marine. My my life's work, I've realized this even over the course of the last two years, I didn't even realize it at Hiring Our Heroes, is to help bridge the civilian military divide. And that's what we're going to do. We did it at Hiring Our Heroes in the workplace. We created an understanding of the value of veterans and military spouses. Before people said, when I first started that organization, people said, we're doing it because it's the right thing to do. And I stopped them and I said, no, you're not. You're doing it because it's right for your business. And they realized that. And that's why we affected change for veteran unemployment. We need to do the same thing for spouses and continue on that course. The same thing with Operation Gratitude. We need to show people that the way to build bridges is through service, gratitude, and repeated meaningful engagements in communities nationwide. And that's what we're going to do. And what I'm really encouraged, and I see this through a number of different organizations, is the manner in which you do it doesn't matter. It's all the common thing, right? If a veteran wants to support first responders and healthcare workers in their community, they can go do Operation Gratitude. If they want to go run a mile, they'll do Team RWB. If they want to chop a tree down, Team Rubicon does much more than that. But these are organizations, Travis Mannion Foundation, if you want to go work in schools with kids, these are organizations that are simply doing what they do. But as you said, it's more of a conduit for the true work, which is one, engaging veterans, helping veterans find service after service, but also connecting them to their community. And veterans can lead and they will lead. And what I would love to see and what I'll shout from the rooftops 
is the power of partnership. I mentioned our efforts to partner with the American Red Cross and the VA and the CVEBS and America's Warrior Partnership and Team RWB. Imagine for the organizations that you laid out, if Operation Gratitude helped bring our million volunteers and we realized the true power of partnership, we would bridge the divide because those organizations would be working together. And I'll partner with anyone who wants to partner with Operation Gratitude because we provide a service, right? If it's some of the organizations that you mentioned, like Team RWB or Team Rubicon or the Mission Continues or the American Legion and the VFW and some of the the VSOs that have been around a lot longer, we'll provide care packages. We'll even organize a service project with them. And we'll bring the civilians, 17,000 community-based groups representing a million volunteers. Now, some of them are veterans, but a vast majority of those are civilian. National Charity League, we have a national partnership with. Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts of America. Thousands of schools and churches and rotary clubs. I, I can go on and on. So imagine a place where the dozens of the best nonprofits in our space start to realize the power of partnership. Think about the greater impact that we can achieve. Now, again, am I Pollyanna here talking this way? Probably. But I'm telling you right now, for anyone who's listening, if someone wants to partner with Operation Gratitude, the answer is yes. We will be there in force and we'll realize mutual benefit. But most importantly, we'll achieve a greater impact together. That's absolutely great. And I, I, I believe in that, obviously. And I think that many organizations these days, including, as you said, AMVETS and PVA and, and some of, in the big six, so to speak, is that the way that we had been doing it isn't necessarily working. So we have to do it in a different way. And, and I really appreciate Operation Gratitude and you to be able to share some of this. So if people wanted to hear more about what Operation Gratitude is doing, how can they find that out? Yeah, it's very simple. Just go to our website, operationgratitude.com, and there's a plethora of ways people can get involved in a hands-on way. We have a virtual volunteerism campaign going on right now. It started a year ago, so we understand that people are still working from home. They're still faced with challenges, and we're giving them that sense of purpose to do that from home, too. We are in communities right now based on COVID restrictions, so keep an eye out for those opportunities, especially in the eight cities that I mentioned where we're modeling some of the work that we're doing uh, on bridging the civilian military and larger civilian service divide, they can reach out to me directly. Not many people would say that on a podcast like this. This is what we do and why we do it. And if they want to get a hold of me, they can reach out to Kevin S., my last initial for Schmeagle, Kevin S. at operationgratitude.com. And we answer every email. And guess what we also do? I guess this won't be a surprise with our name, Operation Gratitude. Every single individual, every single group, those 17,000 groups that I mentioned, gets a personal call, a thank you for serving with us and for making a difference. And that means a lot. And we're going to continue to do that too. So we're getting bigger. We started with 13 employees in December of 2017. And three and a half years later, we have 34. And more than half of those employees are veterans and military spouses now. When I started it was me and one other veteran and one military spouse. So it's it's important because guess what we're doing? We're bridging divides in our own team and we're creating that understanding and we're becoming more effective as an organization as a result of it. And the other employees that we have, many of them started as volunteers too. And they're amazing. They all have the same passion and commitment as our, our veterans and our military spouses. Our, our goal is to be the most impactful I hate to use the word preeminent or nonprofit in the country for hands-on volunteerism in support of military veterans and first responders, but most impactful is probably more accurate. 
and we focus on action. I, you won't see me do a lot of podcasts. I was excited about this one because of the way you do it and how you do it and why you do it. And that's why I joined it. I don't typically speak at conferences or on panels about how we should bridge the civilian military divide. We just go out and do it. And we're going to measure it because I've gotten a lot of feedback that we need to show people. We're going to show people. And in the process, we'll get better and better. And hopefully, through the power of partnership, through uh, opportunities like this, we'll get the word out on what we think is part of the solution. I'm not saying it's the only solution. And make no mistake about it, we don't want to leave. We don't have to be the only organization talking about this. We want people to go out and do it. We want them to stop talking about it and go out and do it. And you mentioned some great organizations that are going out and doing it. And I, I think there are opportunities if we work more closely together to get it done even quicker, more effectively. And I, I see it every day. We're making an impact, but I, I think we can do it better if we provide opportunities like this. Absolutely. And I'll make sure that uh, all of the links and your contact information in the show notes. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. It was really wonderful. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. I'm grateful to have been able to share my conversation with Kevin, and I hope that his enthusiasm and excitement came across to you. Like many of us, Kevin is passionate, passionate about his mission, but also passionate about helping to bring the military and non-military community together. We talk a lot about this civilian-military divide, but what does it actually mean? In my opinion, the gap between those who are familiar with the military lifestyle and those who aren't isn't as cut and dried as people might think. Imagine an inverted bell curve with a lot of people on both ends of the spectrum. Many might think that the inverted curve is a deep chasm, but there's a lot of people in the middle. The goal is to make that dip in the middle much more shallow than it is, and it takes people stepping out into the gap to do that. We're not going to get anywhere if everyone on the military side says, accept us as we are, don't make us change. We don't know anyone who isn't affiliated with the military and we don't want to. These are those on the extreme end of the inverted curve, not willing to try to get to know those who haven't served, not interested in hearing any opinion that conflicts with their own. And the same is on the other side of the inverted curve as well. Those who haven't served, who cling to the monstrous stereotype about service members or negative opinions about military spouses. Thankfully, the extremes are rare, regardless of the sense that we get from social media or our news outlets. The truth is that there are a large amount of the military population that do want to get involved in their community, where their veteranness is not the sole expression of their individuality. And there are those on the non-military side who do want to step into the gap and support those who served. It's not all an us against them, it's an us against the problem, and that problem is a lack of understanding about both sides. So Operation Gratitude is a great example of an organization that sets up events to help both sides do what they want to do anyway, connect with each other. The other point that I would like to make that Kevin and I talked about on the show is how valuable military service members can be to their community. We often hear that veterans can be leaders in their communities. Why is that? Is it because there's an inherent assumption that military service makes one more noble and wise? For any of us who served, we can think of probably about a dozen people who can prove that that's not true. Is it because service members are somehow proven leaders and problem solvers? Sure, that can be true. It's not always true. But the military does do a good job about training and providing opportunities to develop leadership qualities. If I go to look on my bookshelf, I probably have a dozen books on leadership, and the essential qualities of a good leader are endlessly debated. They're also changeable. 
the essential qualities of a good leader are likely different in today's hyper-connected global society than they were a hundred years ago. But in my opinion, a leader is one who has concerns for others, is goal-oriented, is able to understand complex problems and able to evaluate the consequences of their actions. They're ethical, they try to do the right thing, and they're used to making difficult decisions. Who wouldn't want a leader that does those things? Whether it's planning a logistical movement, helping one of your troops solve a financial issue, or simply trying to keep everyone alive while accomplishing a mission in a combat zone, we would all hope that our military leaders have those things in mind. In my experience, most of them do. Not all of them, just like those who haven't served don't have any of those things. But those who have experienced leadership in the military have qualities that are transferable to our communities at home, which are always facing complex, challenging problems. Service members do not make good leaders simply because they served in the military. They make good leaders because they have experienced situation in which leadership was required. In our communities, that can mean food insecurity, racial and ethnic disparities, a difficult business environment, or any of a number of complex issues that exist in our communities. Former service members have the skill sets that can be applied to these situations. They have to want to get involved, and they have to be allowed to get involved. Once both of these things happen, veterans can come alongside those who haven't served and make our communities prosper and thrive. Speaking of leadership, this week's Psych Armor Resource of the Week is the course on the myths and facts of military leaders. When you think of a military leader, what comes to mind? There are several stereotypes and myths regarding military leaders that are common among those who don't have a connection to military personnel and culture. This course identifies four of the most popular myths about military leaders and how they don't align with the reality of working alongside service members and veterans. Tom Krieger, veteran and chief operating officer of PsychArmor, also covers how the training that military personnel have received has endowed them with a set of skills and responsibilities that make them an asset to the workplace. Check out the course by going to the link in the show notes. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find at psycharmor.org forward slash BTM18, as well as on the PsychArmor website. You will find the link to everything we talked about in today's show, as well as hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. Thank you for joining me on this episode and for continuing to join us on this journey. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation, and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we would like for you to do that, but make sure you let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode. And until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.